Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. You know, it's always good to start with a disclaimer. Um, I feel very much like a man under construction at the moment, especially studying theology. It, it doesn't help actually to, to, to think, all right, okay, I'm going to stand up here and do something because um, you feel like you're on shifting plates and um, things change very quickly. But um, there's no point in wasting thousands of pounds in education and not come up here and do something that I think is going to help and because it's real for me. Um, the new year, as way of intro, the new year makes us aware of time in a way that no other point, even birthdays and funerals. And so I thought it would be appropriate to talk about time, but I don't want to talk about time probably in a cliche way. You know, um, like you said, you know, funerals, you're aware of mortality and our time being short. Birthdays, we are aware that, you know, a year has passed and we've probably got X amount of years left based on whatever theory is out there at the moment, you know, life expectancy as it is. You know, but nothing makes us aware of time where we are date-wise, you know. And so I, I want to kind of delve into Ecclesiastes and three, obviously, it del- it, which talks about time, but I want... I want this to be more about how we understand the tension between time and eternity. So if there's anything I want you to learn and understand by the time I finish saying whatever I say and whatever the Spirit speaks into your hearts, I want you to understand that there is a tension that exists between time and eternity. And having understood that, how we ought to obviously live our lives in that in that understanding. And, um, you know, Pastor Rob, you know, very adequately, you know, brought us into that place where we could think about how we change and how we choose last week. And so I want to kind of help our understanding to kind of be girded how we are going to further pack those changes that we want to see in our lives um, into something quite different. And so um, I want to you know, if you can start turning to Ecclesiastes 3, I'm not going to deal with the whole passage. I really want to zero in on one particular verse. Um, Ecclesiastes, let me give you a short introduction to this. Ecclesiastes is a book that is, um, in the history of the church, is deeply misunderstood. It's misunderstood because it has such a pessimistic look and outlook on life. But that actually is what makes it of benefit for us right now and to the whole canon of Scripture. It makes it beneficial because the writer, we believe very much is Solomon, wants you to understand what life looks like when you remove God from it. And so it looks very pessimistic very quickly. And so he starts off by looking at various aspects of life, like the gaining of wealth, the gaining of knowledge, and then in, verse, in chapter 3, we come to time. What does time say about us and all the rest of it? Now, I don't want to deal with what might seem cliche right now, which is the first eight verses, and say, all right, it's going to be about time this and what season you're in. It's your season and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to do that. 
No, I shall not bore you with that, you know. I don't know what season this is for you right now. And I think it's important that we should choose, you know. So rather than kind of go through these, some of my more modern ones is, you know, is this your time to lose weight? Is it your time to gain weight and bulk up, you know? Is it your time to leave a job? I've done with this job. Or is this your time to find a job? Is this your time to learn something new? I want to learn to drive. I want to go back to college. Is this time for you to actually put into action what you've learned? I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to actually find a better job or whatever it is. Is this your time to get a new wardrobe? Is it time to lose the old wardrobe? You know, so those are the things that we kind of think about. And so let's skip past that and get to the chase of where we are right now. You know, we don't plant and, and probably the aggregarian the agrarian culture that um, the Jews were used to probably doesn't reflect well in our lives right now. But let us consider where we are in life and let this impact what you think and how you feel about those things. Okay. So our main text I want to deal with is between, is, is actually nine, verses nine to 15. And I'm going to read it, but our real focus is actually going to be, is verse 11. But you have to read it in context. And, and, and hopefully, um, as we go through this, you'll we'll, we'll learn something and actually get to a better place about understanding how our, our concept of time will impact the decisions we make. And it says this. It says, reading from the ESV, it says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people, that people fear before him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious, you are kind, you have brought us to 2014, and we just want to understand how you um, would have us embrace this new time, dear Lord God. All the ideas that we have, all the things that um, are, are, are old and new in our lives, dear Lord God, we want to be able to reflect them in a way where we can actually put them into good use, dear Lord God, what we've experienced and what we have yet to experience. Lord, we want to put it into your, your perspective, Lord, and we want to gain the wisdom that you have given so that, Lord, we might do better things in 2014 and beyond. Lord, help us to understand how we can do this. Give me the grace to do so, dear Lord God, to teach and to uh, maybe add, dear Lord God, some clarity. Lord, but we pray that above all that your spirit teaches us and gives us the guidance and the wisdom, dear Lord God, that only you can give and affect change in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, 
as I said, you know, the, the verse 11 is, is really our, our main thrust, that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And the reason why we need to move beyond the verse, you know, we, we, we're focused on these verses is because we probably have done all those reflecting. I mean, I'm, I assume that most of us have thought about, well, what, what, what are our plans for 2014? Obviously, some, as we saw, we're going to are planning to get married. Those are big decisions, you know. And so we are making these plans and we're saying this is what we're doing in this specific time on this specific date. You know, and as we say, there's no, there's no such time as the present. So we are, we are aware that we are present, and this is a good thing to be. It's a good place to be simply because we need to know that this is where we affect reality. This is how we cut across reality. We can only be effective in the present. But for the believer, we have to bring our present into tension with something which is called eternity. Now, in theology, the, 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 there is a kind of an antithesis. It's not a direct, but there's an antithesis, which means it's a complete opposite to time, which is eternity, which is technically non-time. People say endless time, but I don't think that's a good way of understanding it. It's a time where nothing else, no time is passing. We're not aware of time passing. And so eternity to, to people who believe in God is an important aspect of how we believed. It was important for the Jews because when God speaks of an eternal covenant, you know, with Abraham, and when God speaks of an eternal priesthood to the Levites, and when God speaks of an eternal, um, uh, eternal line to the, to the house of David, these things were important. If, if, if it wasn't eternal, it wasn't what it said it was on the, on, on the cover. It needs to be what it says. And if it wasn't going to be resolved in this lifetime, then when will it be resolved? And we realize that the whole idea of understanding our lives and how things plan out is to be understand it in the context of God. This is why Ecclesiastes is written, that we might understand that it's not just what we do on earth that matters, but how God's sovereignty comes and affects our lives. So as we understand this, we, have to, we realize that as, a, as Christians, it is important to retain what they call tension. You know, if you've been around Calvary long enough, we always use this term which we call balance. You know, balance is a reference to tension. Tension basically is how do we try to keep things that seem to actually uh, oppose each other and actually keep it in a way where it becomes, where we don't try to, as it were, resolve the tension. Well, what's the most important thing? And one of the things we have to understand about the eternity and how we relate to the present is that we have to keep that intention with the past and we have to keep that intention with the future as well. And we're not, try, we're not supposed to, as it were, try to live one without really having reflected on, on how the, it affects the others. And I want you to understand this in the context that I hope will be a, will simple for us to understand. And I will go and say that if we are going to say that both past, present, and future are to be held in tension for us, and that 2014 is not all there is, though it is important, then how do we do this? And I want us to relate the past to faith. I want us to relate the present to love. And I want us to relate the future to hope.
and I'll explain myself as I, as I say, why are these particular points important? I mean, as we, as we understand um, the Word of God, faith relates to the past in this particular way. It says in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, it says in Hebrews 11, without faith, Obviously, it's impossible to please God. But it, it starts by actually saying, when it brings out why faith is important, the, you know, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, is that by it we believe that God framed and created the worlds and brought them into being. Why is the past important for us as believers to keep in tension with the present? Because we live in a world where people don't believe that the world was created by God. And so if we don't know, you know, um, <laughs> the rapper Ice-T had this thing which was, um, you know, trying to, as it were, school the young boys about where hip-hop came from. He, he says this thing, he, he, he brings this old tune which he says that if you don't know the trunk from the root of a tree, you don't know what the branches and the fruit will be. And so if we don't have an understanding of what our past was, then we're going to have a very difficult time in determining what's important in the present and also what's important in the future. Hence, future faith and hope are inextricably linked. But faith is important because if we don't understand that the worlds were framed by him, God has no reference point to impact your life. If we have brought ourselves into being, then we will have what, we, what I inevitably be philosophically a humanistic perspective. We can only look at ourselves as humans to actually determine what we're going to do. As believers, we do not subscribe to a, a belief that our actions are our own. As much as we are judged for our actions, we realize that God has placed a sovereignty where he is governing us and he is bringing us into the place where we ought to be, even to the knowledge of himself, by revealing himself to us. So as we understand that faith takes this particular place, it is to dominate our, our vision so that we can see that our past is really rooted in God and not just our own heritage of our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents and so that the worlds were formed by him. As we retain this knowledge, we actually see, start to see how our present has to be mindful of the fact that we are created in God's image. That we are living in the world that he has created for us. When we look at the present, much of what the Bible talks about us um, in, in how we now respond to the fact that God has created the world. Um, as Moses writes Genesis and so on, he now wants to use that to now say, now that we understand that God has created this, he has created this, this, this lineage where we are now to be the chosen people of God, and etc. etc. As that runs through, we realize that now God places this commandment for our present to be governed by love. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And again, he presents us with attention. Love God and love your fellow man as you love yourself. I can make my next point about tension as well because we realize that there are people that are very good at loving God but not loving man. 
and there are people that are very, I guess, socially aware, and they're very good at loving man, but not loving God. And us being in England, we can, we're aware of people that can love animals very well, but don't love people very well either. And so it's a, it's a strange and it's a funny old game that, um, that things are like that. But that's the reality, is that we are lost. And if we, if, if, when we lose that tension, we tend to go off into what we call an extreme position. And we lose the sight of what God is really actually saying into our lives. Retain attention and you actually understand that as I love God, I love my fellow man. As I love my fellow man, I love God. And we complete a circle where we are acting in love. Our present is dominated by the compulsion and the imperative to love. And love from the perspective where we understand what is right to ourselves. You know, we, we, you know, we, were, we had an interesting conversation about how our own anger is so perpetuated by our love for ourselves and what we expect for ourselves. And we suddenly realize that our desire and our need to actually love people comes from a place that is quite real to ourselves and that we ought to actually realize that in our love for other people. So our present is dominated by this commandment to love Our decisions and our choices about what we are going to do in 2014 and beyond has to be dominated by the the decision to love people as much as we love ourselves. The future is now governed by what we call hope. And as we understand, Hebrews says to us that Hebrews 11:1 says to us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Having believed that God framed the world, having believed that God has come and, and has, has actually saved and redeemed the world, we're now in a place where we now have a hope and an expectation which is based upon God's future, past events, his present love, and his expectant return. Hope now builds us into a place where we are supposed to be hopeful, expectant of good things. One theologian writes this, and I I believe it to be true. He says, without hope, you cannot be a believer. And I believe it's true. If you as a believer do not have hope, you have not got faith, and you won't Fully acting, you won't be fully active in love. Because hope brings us and anchors us to that which is to come. And it makes us expectant. It is the substance of things that we have faith in. And if God says through Christ that he shall return, then we are to bring that into the perspective of our presence. So why is this Why is... Ecclesiastes 3 important for this because he says God has put eternity into our hearts. He has made this world so much bigger. He has made our lives so much bigger than what we see within our, as they say, you know, three scores and ten. You know, 70 life expectancy is probably a bit higher than 70 nowadays. But the bottom line is, is that why, as he made us, think beyond the span of 70 years? Why is it that we are so aware of and so curious about where where we actually came from and where we're actually going to? 
Why does philosophy ask those kind of questions? Where did we come from and where are we going to? You don't, need, you don't even need to be of a religious mindset to, have, to be dominated by these questions. It is fundamentally human to think of, eternal, to think of eternity. So at this point where we are aware of what time we're living in, eternity is, the bigger, is also a big part of how we actually embrace our present reality. Let's go through some of this text. So as I said, he gives you the God-given task. And he says, I have, you know, I have, get, what, have I, what has the, what, ha, what gain has the worker from his toil? So immediately, the writer brings us into the perspective of having, done, having a list all the God-given tasks, given all the duties that we are responsible for. A time to sow, a time to plant, a time to live, a time to die. All these contrasting experiences that we have through life. He says, what is the God-given task? What brings this and encapsulates this all into one whole? He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. You know, we have many other plans of man, but the Lord <laughs> plans his path. The Lord actually brings this into fruition. We plan many things, and there are things that don't come, don't come at the time we had it planned to, but this is what this text brings. It says that having done all these things, having put our you know, having planted, and many people, like he said, in an agrarian culture like this where they actually have to live off the land, is that everybody planted in faith. Everybody sowed in faith. Everybody reaped in faith because, like you said, you are at the, you're at the mercy of the seasons. You're at the mercy of good weather. So God has to make things beautiful in his time. And so one of the things as you plan, as you hope for whatever 2014 will bring for you, whether it is to lose weight, is it, whether it is to gain weight, whether it is to, as it were, be a new you, get rid of the old you, then it is important to understand it in the context of God will make that beautiful in his time. As we plan, God also plans and brings these things into fruition. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Like I said, there is innate in the human consciousness that we are aware that we are not the beginning and the end of the world. One of the issues with our present and the way that we live in the present is that we actually act like we are the beginning and the end of the world. <laughs> and, we, and, we, and we really do struggle to see beyond ourselves. So when we say that God has put eternity in our heart, it's actually, <laughs> there, there are things that nudge us and say, you know, it's not about you. You know, even from a worldly perspective, people understand this. 
because we can get locked down into very small things that are actually, when we put it into the big picture, we would actually see that they're not that important. There are important things to do, but they are not that important. It's a strange tension as well. You know, it's important to get to work in time, but it's not all about work. Those kind of tensions. And so as we understand this, that eternity is in our heart, that we are to actually embrace the bigger picture of our lives, that actually that we are in a world created by God, that we are under the present imperative to love God and our fellow man and ourselves, and that also we are to have a future hope and expectation. These things actually should to rein in our expectations and actually create big expectations at the same time. The fact that we can't see now beyond what we have, we don't, we don't actually know what's going to happen an hour from now, is again one of the things that the writer is trying to help rein in for us as well. As we come to the, at the latter end of, of verse 11, he says, you know, we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, we can't put, like, we can't actually figure out, you know, like he said, we, 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 we deal in, in a world where people actually come out and make statements like, they're, um, like, they're, like they know what happened, you know. So, you know, people like Richard Dawkins, obviously, uh, to name an obvious one, um, comes out and, you know, and, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm quite surprised that so many people are taken in by Richard Dawkins and, and actually have come to that point where they're now believing that what only people can know in theory is now taken as fact, you know. The, the interesting thing with, 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 with this, and you, you don't have to read very deeply to actually understand that Richard, Richard Dawkins doesn't actually stand on anything that any of his fellow professors and people that stand in any academy actually agree with. His theories are very, very old and actually are redundant now. And so when you see somebody, you know, embracing this, you actually say, well, there's actually nobody in the world that I know of that can actually make an absolute statement that nothing exists or that God doesn't exist. The only position you can really take is that of the agnostic, which is, I don't really know. And then you obviously are now challenged with the whole idea then, well, if you don't really know, then where did you come from? And we're forced to think of there has to be a first cause. You know, so this whole idea of, you know, we know what was happening is that we can't see the past and we can't really see the future. These are supposed to remind us of where we are and who we are. Yet we desire to know what our past was and what our future was beyond our own lives. This is a very telling aspect of our whole humanity that wants to bring us into the place where we can actually understand who we are in the eyes of God. We do, not want, we do not know what's going to happen. And this is actually what makes life interesting. This is from the perspective of the writer of Ecclesiastes. 
is actually telling us that this is actually a good place to be. We don't know. This is actually saying, this is the gambler in all of us. As much as we might think gambling is wrong, there is this point where to actually sow in faith is actually the place where we can actually feel like we are who we're supposed to be. I don't know. Is that new job really going to work out and be the best job you've ever had? We don't know. Will the new you really actually be a new you? A slimmer body? We don't know. Will we really still be in the gym come February? We don't know. <laughs> and this is what makes life great. <laughs> is the actual uncertainty of not knowing how it's all going to come out. That we live and we sow in the hope that the sovereign God brings all things and makes things beautiful in his time. All things working together for good. To, to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. This is the beauty of life. It's not really been able to say, I know that this is what's going to happen. I know with a certainty that, you know, it's going to be great. As much as I would never deny somebody who, who actually would say that and say, you know what, it's going to be great. I said, well, you know, we'll see. You know, and, and, I, and I, like you said, there's, there's so many things you can actually learn. And it would, be, it would be wrong of me not to make a film reference here. But um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a movie called Charlie Wilson's War a number of years ago. And the only thing I ever really remember about it was the story that the guy makes at the end. And um, it was interesting because it was a, it's basically a critique of... of um, it's criticizing America's foreign policy. And so they've just basically... Um, <sighs> the context of the movie is funny because Charlie Wilson was a CIA operative who actually um, made um, the Taliban an ally to get rid of the Russians out of Afghanistan. And so obviously looking at it from the point of a post-2011, uh, September 11, you know, post September the 11th, the movie's actually saying, look at what your, your foreign policy has brought you. And so he makes this particular, he gives this story about the Zen, the Zen master at the end of it. And he said, um, he said there's a boy in a village, and um, he gets a, on his birthday, whatever birthday it is, seven, eight, whatever, he says, his father buys him a horse. And so everybody in the village gathers around that young man and says, wow, you are so lucky, you are so blessed, you're so fortunate, your dad could buy you a horse. And so they look at the Zen master, and the Zen master says, we'll see. <laughs> so the boy one day is riding the horse, and then he's thrown off the horse and actually breaks his leg. So everybody in the village gathers around and says, oh, no, isn't the boy so unfortunate? He's broken his leg. That's so unfortunate. And so they go to the Zen master and they said, isn't it unfortunate he's broken his leg? And he says, we'll see. Again, that country goes to war. And because this kid has got a leg that's broken, he's unfit for war. And all of a sudden, he is not sent off into war with all the other young men. And so everybody goes, isn't that really fortunate? 
that the young man doesn't get to go off to war. He's now safe. He can stay at home with his father. And everybody looks at the Zen master and they say, isn't he fortunate? The Zen master says, we'll see. <laughs> Life is like that. We'll see. This is why we learn to say, by the grace of God, we'll see. You know, Jesus says the same thing, doesn't he? He says, we make these plans and we say this will be good and we can, we can do this and we will see what the Lord will do. You know, I love, like I said, the, um, the narratives of the Old Testament where, um, again, we see Jonathan in, in 1 Samuel um, say to his armor bearer as he looks at a Philistine camp, um, garrison within his country, and he says, let's go over there and see what the Lord will do. I'm trying to bring you to a point where I, you understand that it's important to plan. But it's to plan wisely. To retain the tension of the sovereign God in our lives. They said, let's go over to the camp and let us see what the Lord will do. Let's go to the gym. Let's see what the Lord will do. Let's pop out to the sales. Let's see what the Lord will do. That's a simple rationale. I really have nothing complex to say other than that. We'll see what the Lord will do. Let's get married. Let's see what the Lord will do. Let's go to college. Let's see what the Lord will do. So we don't know what lays beyond ourselves. Verse 12 tells us, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Be happy in the decision that you make. Be happy as you see God prospers it. Be contemplative. Think about it if it isn't succeeding. And don't necessarily give up because the challenge of actually meeting new things is actually something that we are to grow through. Resistance is not a denial. To be laid out and to, to, to you know, when God closes a door, and I think for those who've been believers a little bit longer than, you know, a year or so, will know that a closed door looks like a closed door. And they know the difference. I don't want to teach you about what it is to see a closed door. But as you pray and as you know, you know the difference. But as you plan, be happy in the plans that you've made, even if it is resisting you. Weights in a gym are meant to resist you. Fatty cakes, for those who want to go on a diet, are to be resisted. It's tough. As I'm finding learning, it's tough. It stretches you. Resistance is normal, but we have to do things joyfully. God has given it to us as a gift. So resistance doesn't necessarily mean don't do this. But live and be joyful. He 
He couples this with verse 13. He says, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. You know, if God gives us the pleasure to be able to retain our substance, and this is something, a recurrent theme in Ecclesiastes, if God actually makes it possible for us to enjoy and see the actual rewards of what we do, give thanks to God. He has given you the strength to resist whatever you've had to resist in order to get to that point. The hard labor, the endurance, you know, resisting cakes, resisting, you know, the, the desire to slouch one particular evening when you ought to be out doing what you've got to do. All these things are, again, are to be given thanks to God. So remember your Lord, you know. This is a recurrent theme. We have to understand that. It is God's gift to man. It is not your gift to yourself. When you understand that you are linked to the past which God has created you, you actually understand that you do owe everything to God. You understand that it is your reasonable service to give your life to God. You are always his. And this is where you understand, like I said, that's Romans 12. We understand these tensions and our, our, our obligation to be committed to him, to his service, to his people, to his world, because we are his. We need to keep the tension to our past and to our future. In verse 14, he says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. What God has done is his done. You know, we understand, you know, difficult verses like in Philippians where it says that we are to to walk in works that he has already given for us, that are actually already done. God has made us for a purpose. And, you know, one of, one of the things that um, I think from, from very early, yeah, from very early on in my Christian walk is understanding how purpose and finding your purpose is actually quite a simple affair. You know, as, as, as many people teach and, and, and is good to teach, is that our purpose is never far from our desire from what we actually want to do. You know, our purpose and our desire is actually what God wants to do. What, what niggles you in the world? What do you feel is wrong with the way that people live their lives? What is wrong that I actually have the gift, not only to see, but actually to fix? You know, I've, you know, we look in our churches, we look in our community, and that's why, again, ministry is whatever God has called you to do. And we are to walk in those gifts that God has given us to actually fulfill in that. This is why the parable of the talents, again, is such an important, important story for us to understand about how we use those gifts, how we use the abilities that God has definitely given us. You know, like this is not to labor points that we have already gone through in, you know, as Calvary as a church, where we are to actually put our gifts into use within the actual body and into the community. It's not just the church which benefits from 
the gifts that God has given. You know, more times, like you said, it's the community, it's the wider world. You know, gifts of, gifts of healing, gifts of doctrine. You know, those are things that benefit everybody. And these are gifts that, people got, that God gives to people. So when we understand this, we are, we are walking in a plan and a purpose that is given by God and that cannot be denied. And we have to live in accordance to the fact that these are the works that God has already prepared for us. And this is why we ought to hope. There's people that will tell you that God has a plan for your life with a completely different perspective than as I'm telling you. But God has got a plan for your life. God has works for you to walk in. God might, your plans that you've made for this year may very well be part and parcel of what God has planned for you to do from since the day you were born, since even before you were born, in that perspective. And you're now actually cottoning on, this is what I really need to do. Praise God. Walk in that. God has given you that path when you know it is him. No one can take that away from you. It is a finished work. In conclusion, in verse 15, it says, that which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away or, be, or been pursued. The overall theme when you, when you get to the end of Ecclesiastes is that basically God will bring everything into judgment. So the whole idea of what you've pursued, what actually your life has actually been about, really comes into the microscope of his judgment on our lives as believers. Have you done? How, what have you done with what I have given you? How have you lived your life in contrast to what I know you knew that you needed to do? God already knows. This is why the scripture is here. It completely protects his sovereignty. God already knows you were supposed to do it. Why did you not do it? And it is to bring us into that point where we are to have this future hope of actually knowing that there will be a point where we will know God and we will see God and we, will, we, we, we won't have to have faith, as it were, like we do now. That hope and expectation that we will be with him and we will know him is to actually inform our present. The whole idea that we are going to meet our Savior, we're going to meet our God, is to now home us in. To actually saying, Lord, how is my present going to match up to the hope that I have to meet you? How am I going to bring my hope into this present time? How am I going to keep that tension so that I do as you would, would, you would have me to do? You know, this brings us to the fact that Christ and to serve as he served should dominate our mind and our life today. When it says the give, we are under obligation of love, we do so with, with John 3.16 in mind, that he so loved the world that he gave his son. That Christ came and actually done an act of love which showed us that 
God gives his own life for us. But he connects us to the act of love by saying that I don't leave you without a comforter. I leave you with the Holy Spirit today as well. That you might do, I find it hard to believe, greater works than these. It's a tough thing, but I've never really fully understand it. I'm not going to try and unpack that now, but I believe that to act in love in our present can only really be done if we try to bring that hope and that faith together into our present life as well and to love and empower it. So this is how we bring back to, to Christ, to God, and to the Holy Spirit. You know, again, something that we have to keep in tension, that God is free yet one. They are not in competition It is really actually to, to, to try and demonstrate that tension is repeti- repi- repi- repeated all throughout Scripture. And it's not for us to try and resolve it. It's to us embrace all those things and actually live that truth and actually try to be um, more together. As we now to kind of wind up, as the band and the singers come, Today, again, this message, again, is, is really time. It's called Time and Eternity and the Sovereignty of God. 2014 is the year, but as believers, you are vessels also for eternity. You live beyond 2014, no matter what happens. Your destiny is beyond 2014. We are compelled to live in faith, to glorify God and actually say that by faith I believe that the worlds were created by God, that we're under the imperative to love in our present, that, the, that we're obligated to love God and to love our fellow man as we love ourselves, and that we have to have a hope in Christ. We need to bring these things together and live well. Rejoice in what God has given and realize God has given it to you and made it perfect in his time. So as we reflect on our, our own plans and what life is will hold, what resistance you will reasonably expect. Let us now embrace 2014 with the vigor that God would have us embrace it with. Let's consider what has been, been, been challenged. If you're not doing much within the, in the scope of our, your local church, your local community, embrace it. Knowing that you're created in God's image, Knowing that you are here to love, knowing that you are here to hope and to bring hope. Let us do this with a certainty. So, as we sing our final song, I, I, I pray that.
you will understand that um, our God is great. That time and eternity are a reality to you all and ought to be, and ought to be lived in that reality. So I pray that you live again very well in this year and in eternity to come. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.